ushers have Bibles available, just raise your hand. They'll bring a Bible to you that you can use throughout our service. You know, to show respect for God's word, one is we bring it to church with us. We own a Bible of our own. Think about how many things you own or that you have. Usually own what you count precious. Can you think of something more valuable than the Word of God? And you might have it on your phone, that's fine. You might have it in paper, print, or you might have both. But bring the Word of God with you to church so that you can read it for yourself. Not just hear it, but read it for yourself. Make that a discipline and a practice. As we get into the new year, I want to encourage you to have a Bible reading plan where you read God's word regularly, daily, and you take it in. It's not just for information. The Bible says God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. You're not reading God's word daily. You are walking in darkness. You're not looking for God's direction. All right, today we look at Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 31. Please stand with me in respect to the reading of God's word. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the, the, the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. But behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on, on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he's the chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, 
Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the, dis the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in a synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. May God give insight, direction, motivation and challenge, encouragement, even correction where it's needed from his word today. Please bow with me in a word of prayer. We thank you, Father, for allowing us to be here on this last Sunday this last day of 2023. We think back on this year and we could not predict the things that would take place, but we could know that no matter what happened, you have been with us. We reflect, Lord, on the hardships, the sorrows, even deaths that we've experienced here in our church and within our own families. Some who have died have gone to be with you and we thank you for that. You said in your word, precious in your sight is the death of a saint, a believer. And we count that. And yet, Lord, many have died and perhaps some from our own families who haven't known you. We can't pray for them. Their end is already determined. It's final. It won't be reversed. 
But that's why we pray for those who remain. And we pray for ourselves that we might be faithful. Spur us on, Lord, to not give up, to not settle, to not slow down, to not relax, to not take time off, but to be fervent in spirit. Help us to understand that day by day, we don't just automatically stay fervent. We must fan that flame. We must bond together so that we encourage and challenge, even rebuke when necessary, each other so that we can be what you want us to be. Right now, Lord, we pray that we'll commit ourselves to your process of building up the church, working in each other's lives, encouraging each other so that we all accomplish that which you'd have us to do. And that is to be faithful until the end. We don't know when that end is going to be. So, Lord, I pray right now each individual in this church in this room right now, who knows you, would commit to you. Those who don't know you can't commit yet. They don't recognize you as Lord in their life. They don't recognize you as the one that they have to give account to and answer to. But those who do, Lord, I pray that we might be moved to honor you in all of our lives to do that cheerfully with faith knowing that you are working things out according to your purpose and your will thank you for this moment now we pray Lord for the preaching of your word that you would use Brian and that you would speak through his message this morning to challenge our hearts to move us where you want us to be we thank you for those who are here, some who are sick and continue uh, battling sicknesses. We pray for them. We just pray that you would be with and encourage them. I think of Brenda Adams, Lord, today that you might watch over her, that you might encourage her. You know the condition of her body. Cancer is not new to you. It's not new to several who are here right now, who have been through it and are still here. I can think of quite a few right here in this room right now who are still here. They're here, and in some cases, their doctors are no longer here. But you have preserved them. So we have faith in you. We trust you. We ask that you would increase the faith of those who are going through different challenges, whether it's physical, job-related, um, family issues. We all have some type of challenge and some type of issue. We come to you, Lord, and say, minister to us and then minister through us. We also say thank you, Lord. This year, though it's been a challenging year, it's been a fruitful year. 
we have seen a number of individuals not, not only come to trust in you, but some of those who have come to be a part of this church and have shown themselves faithful in that. We thank you for that. That's rare, but that's what you called us to do. We just last week experienced the baptism of Robert and thanking you, Lord, for that. And, and through this year, Lord, we've had several who have been baptized. We'll review that at the end of the year, I mean, at, the, at our service tonight and our fellowship tonight. We just thank you for what you have done. Looking forward to all that you're going to do and trusting you. In the name of Jesus, we pray and thank you. Amen. Please be seated. There is no prophetic vision. The people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. And when you look at the Christmas story, you see the star that leads the wise men. You see Joseph being guided by visions. You see Abraham being guided by visions. He was guided and, and told to leave the land of his fathers. He was told to go into a strange land that he had not been part of. God always guides his people by his vision. And we need to understand that we as a church are the prophetic people of God. And we're guided by the vision of the Lord. And we need to be reminded and empowered by this. And the word of the Lord is a prophetic vision. And we're going to be going through Acts 9. And Acts is all about the initiation of the church age. Jesus promised them the Holy Spirit and he told them to wait in Jerusalem. And it says when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria until the end of the earth. And what we're going to see is that Luke is telling a story about the beginning of the church age, a church that is led by the visions of the Lord. And when we get to chapter 9, the context is that we're coming into the story of the church right after Stephen had been murdered. And after Stephen had got murdered, persecution started to spread, but as persecution spread, so did the gospel. And it reached even all as far as Africa. And because the gospel was spreading, the enemies of the church got frustrated. And this is mainly applies to Saul, who was the prime enemy of the church. And so he got infuriated, and he decided that he was going to chase down all the saints that he could find. And so... Turn with me to Acts 9, and let's get into the word. It says there, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? 
And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. This section is about Saul continuing, you know, I'm going to call it a jihad against the disciples. And Jesus steps in. The fact that you'll see that this is all orchestrated by Saul. Saul went to the priest. The priests are already evil, but they didn't even have this idea. Saul came up with his own idea and said, hey, you know what? Give me letters of authority and I'll chase these people down. The priest is like, okay, that's a good idea. Saul was dedicated. He was persistent. He was ruthless. It says he didn't care if he got men or women. And when you look at Saul, what you can say about his soul state was that he was hopeless. And it's amazing to me that the Lord decides to speak to this man. And so Jesus speaks to Saul and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, in other places, we learn that Saul was in the middle of the day when this happened. A light overshone the sun in the middle of the day. A light that flashed like lightning in the middle of the desert. And Jesus says, you're persecuting me. Jesus identifies with his disciples. And Saul says, well, who are you? He said, it's, it's me, Jesus. The one you're trying to kill. Now go. Enter the city, and I'll tell you further what you will do. Now Jesus immediately orders Saul what to do. But he only tells him the first step. Because following Jesus requires faith. Jesus doesn't show you everything that you're going to do. He doesn't show you every sight. He doesn't show you every week. He doesn't show you every day. But he shows you the first step. And Saul was blind until he received true sight. It's odd to me because Satan was playing a chess game with Jesus. And he thought he had Jesus in check. He moved his piece. He said, I got you, Jesus. But while Satan was playing chess, Jesus changed the rules of the game and started playing Othello. You ever heard of that game? In Othello, you could flip pieces and turn them from the other person's piece to your piece. And so Jesus said, that's my piece. That's not fair. That's my piece. Jesus takes an enemy and he makes him his weapon. So then it says, now there was a disciple of Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. 
Now, I know this is not direct proof that Jesus is God, even though he is. But you will be hard-pressed to find differences between this story and 1 Samuel chapter 3 when he called boy Samuel. Just like he called Ananias by name, the father called Samuel and said, Samuel, Samuel. And eventually he had to say, here I am, Lord. This is the normal way that God calls. God calls us by name. And when we hear him call, we should say, here I am, Lord. And what do we mean when we say, here I am? We should say, I'm ready, I'm listening, and I will do what you tell me to do. Here I am, Lord, the prophet says, send me. Samuel says, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. Abraham even responded like that to his son. He was in such a way, in such a pattern of responding like that. He said, Father, Father. He said, here I am, son. God said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Moses, Moses, here I am. Godly men are listening for God's call. We don't live in a world where God has stopped calling. God is still speaking to men today. Or as my father said about the wise men, wise men are still seeking him. He said, rise and go to the street called Straight. At the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. All right, let me write down his address. I know what street he's on. And I even know what was going on in his brain. I sent him this vision of you laying hands on him and so he could receive his sight. Go do it. But Lord, do you, you sure you got the right soul? <laughs> this dude is bad news. You've been putting people in jail. Remember when Steve, Lord, you heard about Stephen, right? Saul was there, cheering it on. Ananias rightly calls it evil. He did a lot of evil to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he's coming here. We heard about him. We all scared, Lord. We all in our houses today. Because we heard he was coming. And the Lord says, I understand you're scared. And I prioritize your safety. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send somebody else, okay? Is that what the Lord said? <laughs> we got a lot of Christians who prioritize safety nowadays. I, I don't see that in the scripture. If the Lord prioritized safety, he would have never got up on that cross. Christianity is not a safe religion. If you're looking for safety, go home and listen to the church over the internet. But if you really want to serve the Lord, 
you're going to face danger. Jesus laid his hands on lepers. Daniel got thrown into the lion's den. Isaiah got torn in two. Jeremiah was taken captive to a land he didn't want to go. Ezekiel lost his wife. Moses many times was threatened to be stoned. Joshua went into many battles. So did David. All the apostles were killed. Christianity is not a safe religion. But when you do God's will, you will never regret it. You will never regret serving the Lord. I never regretted any time that I've spent serving the Lord. And the saints that came before me, they never regretted it either. You might regret putting your faith in certain people. You might regret and say, oh, man, if I wouldn't have invested that much time in that guy or that girl. But you will never regret serving the Lord. He says, go, for I have chosen him to carry my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Jews. And he must suffer many things because the Lord had already called Saul. And who he calls, he predestines to be conformed to the image of his son. So when Ananias heard this, he didn't object anymore. He got up and he went there. And then what did he do when he called Saul? He, did, he was like, uh, you got it? No, he said, brother Saul. Brother Saul. The Lord sent me. The same Lord that appeared to you when you were on the road. I know Saul was thinking, why did you know about that? He told me. And he sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales falls from his eyes. And then he gets baptized. And he eats. And he joins the church. It's at the moment of Jesus' call, a change is made and a new creation has begun. A person is starting to be transformed. They start to be recreated. The old person becomes destroyed. The new person starts to emerge out of the same body, the same form. But it takes spiritual eyes to see it because a person may look the same, but they are not the same. They are a new creature. Old things have passed away. And so the Lord sends Ananias to Saul so that he might join the church that he had come to oppress. Now also challenging there, you see, Saul went and immediately was baptized. I don't know who's not baptized in this room, but what's holding you back? What's holding you back? If you've been saved, you need to be baptized because that's what the Lord Jesus commanded. It's not an option. And if you've been baptized, you need to be a member of the church. That is also not an option. Leaders are not optional things that we ought to be doing. We need to be following the will of the Lord. So Saul gets baptized. And it says, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the Son of God. 
He joined the church. He joined the church. He was with the disciples. And it talks about discipleship and the importance of the church. And then immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. Now, I will note that he said something special about Jesus. He said he is the son of God. Now, sometimes in our way, in our Western way of thinking, we're a little bit divorced from the language that we see in the Bible. So it might not immediately hit us, but we need to understand that when somebody said son of God, they were saying he also is a God. You need to understand that there is a Jesus that you could proclaim that people will not be offended by. That's Jesus' man. Jesus is a good guy. Nobody going to be offended by that. You could be a moralizer, and nobody will be offended by your moralization. Well, some people might, but we live in a backwards world. But most people will not. It's not till you start saying, Jesus is God. That people start getting whipped up. People start noticing there's a change in you. You need to proclaim the deity of Jesus. And when you do, you'll notice people will change up around you. They said they were all amazed. Like, who was this dude? Don't think that this is a good testimony they're saying about him. They're not. They're saying, hold up a second. This dude? He was just on his way here to arrest those people. And now he changed up that quick? Stop. You one of them dudes, Saul, that you just get all hoppity and going, whatever you're doing, you get up to the high strung about. That's what you are, Saul. One day you heard about music, now you're playing the piano. The next day you heard about diet, now you're on a diet. The next day you heard about exercise, you exercise. That's the kind of guy you are, Saul. You just get high strung about whatever you own. But, it says, Saul increased all the more in strength. What kind of strength did he increase in? He increased in spiritual strength. He increased by doing what God told the church to do, which is be part of the church, do what God called you to do, go out there and proclaim the deity of Jesus Christ, and when you do it, you'll get better at it. And when he did it, we learned something about the nature of Saul. Saul was a battler. Says he confounded the Jews. What it mean to be confounded? That word confounded kind of means it's almost like when you're in a boxing match with somebody else and you hit them real good between the eyes and they get dazzled. That's what that means. He hit them between the eyes. Like, ooh, they forgot where they were for a second. That's what he did. He got the Jews really good. And he proved that Jesus was God, and Jesus was the Messiah. That's what Christ means. When we say Jesus Christ, we, say, we mean Jesus is the chosen man. He is the one the world has been waiting for. He is the greater David. He is the high priest. He is the prophet. He is God. And after you proclaim the deity of Jesus Christ, guess what? You're going to get Satan coming against you. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. <laughs> Listen, people don't like that. It don't take long to go from an enemy to a gospel proclaimer. People shouldn't act like it's going to take a long process to do that. When you get saved, tell somebody. 
Tell somebody what God did for you. That's all you got to do. Nobody can, how's somebody going to contradict what happened to you? They don't know you. You just tell them what happened to you. You don't got to have a whole argument, a whole thesis. You are not up there debating professors and all that stuff. All you got to do is say, what did God do for me? How's somebody going to contradict that? They don't know your life, but you do. You are the only expert of your thoughts, your feelings, your insides, and you tell them how God changed you from the inside out. And then let somebody else try to tell you something. Only some only person who could tell you about your insides is God. You let them try to argue against that. Let them be proven a liar, because they don't know, but you do. So go out there and tell somebody. After this, you'll note that he had to leave the city of Damascus because he got persecuted. They were trying to kill him. They were sold to the point where they were watching the gates. Now, how are you going to be watching the gates unless the government is corrupt? Stop. Government corrupt. We live in a corrupt government. We live in a corrupt society. Don't get me started on corruption. And so Saul had to leave the city because, listen, the city was evil. Now, if he left, but it was still saints left behind. What does that tell you? It tells you that God still wants to minister to corrupt cities. We'll talk more about that later. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. And the question is, what does it mean to be a disciple? This passage is all about discipleship and being a disciple. In verse 1, it says, Saul threatened the disciples. In verse 10, it says, God spoke to a disciple, and Adonias was one of them. In 19, it says, Saul was with the disciples. But then in verse 25, the disciples become Saul's. You see that? It says, but his disciples took him by night. How'd that happen? What goes on in chapter 9? He was persecuting disciples. He met a disciple. He became a disciple. They became his disciples. Now he's trying to join the disciples. What's going on here? He has become part of the church. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means to be a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ. You ever watch those old kung fu movies? They say, this person is my master. And what do you do when somebody's your master? They, you eat with that person. You go to that person's school, you learn how to fight like that person. You even learn how to talk like that person. You begin to act like that person. And that person is somebody whose words you will not disobey. Now, that's a human being. But we have a heavenly master. We are his disciples. We ought to learn like to fight how he fought. 
We ought to learn how to talk like he talked. We ought to do his will. We ought to not disobey him. We ought to eat like he eats. And so when Saul seeks to join the church in Jerusalem, they say, I don't know if this dude is for real. And I know we might object to that and say, oh, guys, you need to open up your hearts. But they were right. They was right. You can't trust anybody that say they're a disciple to believe that they're a disciple. And we know how ruthless this dude was. He wasn't above sneaking in and, and doing something dirty and shady. They said, I don't know about this guy. I don't know. But then our beloved brother Barnabas stepped in. And Barnabas took Saul in and brought him in to share his testimony. And what does this say? Our testimony matters. Too many saints come up and say to me, I don't care what other people think. You better, you fool. Your testimony matters. What people understand about your Christian testimony matters. If you're known as a liar and a deceiver when you come around, that is not a good thing. I don't care what people think. You should. You should be behaving in such a way that you, you turn around those expectations. You should be saying, I used to be a liar and a deceiver. Right? You shouldn't be getting all offended. You just stole last week. Now they think I'm a thief. You were. <laughs> but you've been saved. Now you're different. Show them that the person that you used to be is not the person that you are now. You do have something to prove. You need to prove that Jesus is at work within you. And Saul preached in Jerusalem. After Barnabas gave his testimony about Saul, you'll notice it changes, right? At first they didn't want to let him in, but then it says in verse 28, so he went in and out. What's that mean? That don't mean he came every other Sunday like some people be thinking. Stop. We got lots of people in and out of the church. That's not what it's saying, okay? No, that ain't what it means. What it means is he was part of the church, and he was able to go in and out of any gathering, and nobody batted an eye. He was a member of the church, and he was endorsed by the church. And when he went out there preaching, and they heard that he was preaching, they, and here's the thing, Saul thought he was doing good. He was out there preaching, and you'll learn later if you look in the book of Acts, Saul thought, no way the Jews will, will, will be mad at me. They know me here. They know that I was a person who was on the other side. They have to know some miraculous thing has happened to change me. So I will be a minister to the Jews. And God said to him, and you'll read this in Acts 22. God said, no, Saul, they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to listen. I think this might have been a point of maybe disappointment for Saul. Because he believed that he could be an instrument to change his people. But that was not God's purpose for him. God's purpose for him was to speak to the Gentiles. People like me and you. And it says the brothers heard that they were trying to kill Saul. I know Saul probably thought he was making progress. 
And the brother's like, so they trying to kill you, brother. He was like, what? But don't they know I, I was one of the ones who was persecuting people? I know, man, but you got to get out of here. It's too hot over here. We got to get you out of here. So they sent him out. And eventually he ended up in his hometown, Tarsus. And then in verse 31, it says, the church was at peace. Now, how the church at peace when people are trying to kill? That's a good question, isn't it? But I believe that there's a few things going on. First off, this is wrapping up the saga of Saul's persecution. Okay? So one thing Luke is saying is the period of being afraid of Saul was over. But in another way, he's saying the church was growing. They were walking in the fear of the Lord. They were walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It's a recipe for peace and growth. The church grew because it believed in the fear of Jesus. They did what Jesus told them to do. And they found comfort only in the Holy Spirit. What's comfort in the Holy Spirit? It's comfort in the church membership. It's comfort in using our gifts. It's comfort in the worship. Because in the church, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is like a river. A river flows through. A river flows through. God can bring us through evil territory. And if you know something about a river, rivers are always surrounded. That's like the people of God. We always surround them. No matter where we go, we always will be outnumbered until we get to heaven. Unless we in church. Oftentimes when we come to church, sometimes for some of us, that's the first time in the week that we done seen somebody that has some sense. I mean, it's saved. Sorry. Sorry, all you unsaved people out there. You know, didn't mean to offend you with the truth. Peace is like a river. Threatened on every side, but with a clear destination. We're going to keep going to our destination. And we might be threatened on every side. People might even throw stuff in the river that don't belong in the river. But God knows who belongs to the river. And the river going to keep on flowing. And you could try to stop it. But you can't. It is an unstoppable force of nature. It will keep flowing. And eventually, it will empty out into the sea. And the sea is a destination of all the saints. And what we can say is this. Every church is flowing slowly towards God's will as they operate in the fear of Jesus and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, no matter what that river might be flowing through. After this session, Saul leaves to Tarsus, and Peter becomes to be led by a vision as well and preaches to the Romans. And the gospel then extends to Europe. But what I want us to see in this section is this, that even if 
people can relate to you, God has to empower them to hear the gospel. I know that Paul thought that he had an end with his people, and, and maybe he thought he did, but that wasn't God's purpose for him. For the church, peace is not the elimination of threats or conflict. It is trusting in the lordship of Jesus. And we need to understand this. Jesus is sovereign and working even where we are not working. Jesus is working on people's hearts. That's why you don't have to be keeping yourself up at night all the time about people doing right. You don't have to be worried about so-and-so's family or this and this happening. You could be worried a little bit about it. You could pray for them. But God is going to work. God is going to work. I think we need to change our perspective and understand that Jesus is in control. Even against our enemies, they could become our friends. Jesus is at work even when we're not. And we need to understand why others might need to challenge our testimony. Just like Saul was challenged. And we need to continue to build our testimony so that it no longer needs to be challenged. We need to put some things into practice because of this passage. Let Jesus identify as you. When you do the right thing and you suffer, you could say, Jesus suffered. Jesus can identify as you. Follow the Lord one step at a time. Don't expect him to give you a Google Maps. That's not how the Lord operates. The Lord says, take one step. Wait on the Lord. Saul was three days without sight. I know the story makes it seem like it happened in the next sentence, but if you were in Saul's feet, you would have felt like you had to wait. When Jesus tells you something, believe it. Ananias first doubted the Lord, but after the Lord told him, he called Saul brother. Proclaim the deity of Christ. This separates what is moral from what is spiritual. Put yourself in a church family and do the work of the church. Too many attenders, not enough workers. Do the work. Don't be offended when your testimony is challenged. Establish a testimony and a track record of faithfulness. Be faithful. Do the right thing. Be a witness to somebody else's testimony like Barnabas was. Because Barnabas vouched for Saul, the other believers believed him. Walk in the fear of the Lord by putting him first and putting the fear of man second. Allow the spirit to comfort you by coming to church, putting your whole self into the worship, and marrying the church, not dating it. I want to look at something bigger here. And that is that this passage is about Jesus guiding his church. Jesus visited Saul. He sent a vision to Ananias. He sent Barnabas to bring Saul to the apostles. He grows his church by any and every means in ways we can't anticipate. The Lord calls his church to grow by calling men into his church where they will be recognized, developed, and sent to proclaim his name. That's what he does. And that's what he was doing, and that's what he continues to do. And he doesn't need anybody's permission to do this, not even the people he called. He does it by his will. He didn't ask Saul for permission to say, hey, you know, I came here today, and I just want your permission, Saul, to see if you you okay with this. He didn't say sign at the dotted line. He said, Saul, stop it. 
Now go to the city. That's it. I also know that Jesus' goal is not to save us from stress. If his goal was to serve from stress, why did he wait till Saul was right outside the city to save him? If his purpose was to save our church from stress, he would just let somebody donate a million dollars and we would fix our roof and then we wouldn't have to worry about our budget issues or any of that stuff, but he doesn't do that. His goal is to grow his church and that we would operate in faith one step at a time. What does Proverbs 29, 18 say? Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law of the Lord. We're the prophetic people of God, guided by the vision of the Lord. And we need to be reminded and empowered by this. We need to understand the Lord's provision. Even in our own church. Remember when we had budget problems and somebody just donated a whole piece of land for us? And I know a few months ago, people got up on the roof and acted a fool up there and caused $200,000 worth of damage. But you know that Jesus identifies with us. They didn't just steal from us, they stole from Jesus. A curse be on those people who did that, that they would act against the Lord that way. That's not just us that suffered, that was Jesus who suffered. Let anybody who aims to destroy this church beware. Because what God sustains, he protects. And even though Satan meant it to disturb our faith because we were growing and we were doing good things, God meant it for good. We've had $12,000 donated from people outside the church already. $12,000. Some of these churches that donated to us had some conflicts with us before about how we handled COVID. God is rebuilding relationships through our loss. Satan meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Some people came and said, hey, do you think you need to move? Because this is going to keep on happening to y'all. Y'all know where y'all living at. <laughs> but what it did was it clarified our purpose and clarified our vision. Me and my dad got together and we talked about what is the vision that the Lord has given us for this church. And we haven't 100% clarified the whole vision. But we do know this. Our purpose is to minister to men in the inner city and so that Jesus does not retreat from the city. We're going to keep on preaching here. We don't care if it's a shooting in here. We're going to keep on preaching here because the people in this neighborhood need to be saved. That's why they acted a fool. That's why they causing two hundred thousand of damage and getting a thousand dollars back. That's why they dealing drugs. That's why we drive. They drive by and they playing their loud music. That's why they acting a fool. That's why when they walk by, they look like they ain't wearing no clothes. They need to be saved. 
And God has called us for that purpose. He's given us a vision, a vision of changing the men of this city so that this city would not be known as a city of alcohol and beer, taverns on every corner. It will be known as a city where the gospel goes out, where people give out the gospel and they're not afraid of the truth. And not afraid of facing hardship. And not afraid of persecution to come. And not afraid of the fact that America has turned into a godless state. We're going to keep on ministering until Jesus come back and make it his state. We're not giving up here on this corner. It don't matter what Satan brings against us. The gates of hell cannot prevail against us. Because we operating in Jesus' will. We're not too concerned with what the world is worried about. We're concerned about doing the Lord's business. What did Jesus say when they said, Jesus, you crazy. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? He said, shouldn't I be about my father's business? We doing our father's business. And that's why we're going to continue to stay here. I encourage you, as we get into 2024, that you be about the Lord's business. Put the Lord's business first. The world is corrupt. It will stay corrupt. It will get even more corrupt. Governments will get worse. People will get from go from worse to even more worse. But as the darkness gets deeper, the contrast with the light should become stronger. And that should make the gospel seem even brighter. We need to follow the vision of the Lord. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for giving us vision. A vision of what you want us to do a vision of what you want sweet communion to be. We pray that you bless us, Lord, in this church, that we would do your will, that we would not retreat from the mission that you gave us, that we will be like Ananias and go, laying our hands even on people that once were our enemies. Go, saving the souls, even if we find the ones that hurt us, that we will go out there and minister with the gospel. In your name we pray, amen.